Give him some praise this morning. He's worthy, amen. Nobody like our God. Hey, can we just take a moment and slip our hands to heaven and invite God's presence into this place, amen, as we continue to worship. But, Father, we do take this moment, God, just to tell you, Lord, how much we want to be closer to you. God, in these next few moments of worship, God, as we draw near to you, God, and, and prepare our hearts, Lord, we pray if there's anything in our hearts, God, that is unpleasing to you, God, that you would remove it and draw us closer and closer and closer to you. God, that's our heart's desire, to be more like you and closer to you. God, and we bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Bless your
Holy Spirit, we need you in our lives. We need you today to change what only you can change, to do what only you can do. Lord, there are mountains in our lives that we can't move. There are fears in our life that we can't dispel. There are needs in our life, God, that we can't meet. But you, you can do anything. Move, God today. Move, God, in each person's life. Move, Lord, in our situations. We're going to take this time to have a moment where we can touch the hem of his garment. There's a song that says, just one touch. This song says, one word. 
one moment in your presence can do what we can't do. And God was showing me that there were those of you here today that have some things in your life that you've just kind of given up on. You've just kind of said, that's just the way it is and it's never going to change. And God wanted me to tell you, one word from God, one moment in His presence can change everything. Mountains will melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. We're going to call our prayer team down at the front, and we want to pray with you about any need that you have in your life. But if you are have given up hope or are about to just say, well, that's just the way it is, come this morning, receive prayer, and see God do a miracle in your life with one word, one touch, one moment in his presence. So our ministry team is coming down front. We're going to continue to worship, and we invite you to come up for prayer. And all things have passed away. Your love has stayed the same. Your constant grace remains the That we thought were dead are breathing in life again. You close your sight to shine on darkest night. For all that you've done. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one now. Our hearts are Come on, sing it again. Say, the Jesus, we
Oh, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, the purchase of God, the Lord of His Spirit, and washing His blood, perfect submission, all is
Your voices sing Give him some praise. Go ahead. Oh, come on. Let's really praise him in this place this morning. We serve a risen king. Amen. Oh, Lord, we bless your name. Oh, we bless your name, oh, God. We serve such a good God. Hey, why don't you turn around this morning to a few people, tell them how happy you are to see them in the house of the Lord. Welcome to Church on the Rock. We're so happy you're here worshiping with us today. In the chair back in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you are a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you. Drop it in the offering, or you can take it across the hall to the Connect Room, where you will receive a free gift bag. Don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe.
so glad you're here, and we hope you know that there's always a place for you at Church on the Rock. Here's what's happening at Church on the Rock. On September 16th and 17th, we are in need of some people at Rahab's Retreat in Kilgore, Texas to assemble and install counters and move equipment into the workout room we have sponsored. Contact Pastor Lamel Miller if you are able to help. Are you looking to get more connected to the life of the church? Well, our Connect class is a four-week class on Wednesday nights at 6.30 in the Connect Cafe. Join us this week as we go over our beliefs and spiritual disciplines necessary for an effective Christian life. Our ministry guide is so much more than just a cool accordion-folded pamphlet. It's packed full of opportunities to help you grow in your walk with God and get more connected into the COTR family. Look through our Equip classes, Outreaches and Ministries, Wednesday Life Groups, and Local Outreaches. Our Equip classes meet on Wednesdays and Sundays and include our Core and Steps classes that we encourage everyone to be a part of. Our Outreaches and Ministries are specialty groups that meet all across the city. They range from prayer and Bible studies to woodworking to firearms training. These groups are led by leaders within the church who started the group based on their personal passion. Our Wednesday Life Groups are also led by leaders within the church. These groups meet on Wednesday nights at church and across the city and are a great way to dig deeper in your walk with God and connect with like-minded Christians. On the back of the ministry guide, you'll find all of the ways for kids, youth, and 20s age to get involved. And in our local outreaches section, you'll find out how you and your family can make a difference in our community. We have over 20 local outreach groups you can be a part of, from helping victims of sex trafficking to prisoner Bible studies to crocheting for missions. The ministry guide is packed full of life-changing opportunities, but in the end, it's only text written on a page until you decide to get involved and join a group. Still a little confused as to how the ministry guide works? No worries. Visit churchontherock.org and click on Ministries and watch our Ministry Guide Simplified video, where we break down every part of the ministry guide and explain just what you need to do to get involved. I'm sure you've heard it by now. Vote. Make your voice heard. And at this point, I'm sure you're thinking, why bother? Why take 30 minutes out of your day to stand in line with strangers when at the end of it all, one vote is just a drop in the bucket? It's just one little vote out of millions and millions, and it doesn't really make a difference. Your voice by itself amounts to nothing more than a whisper, right? So maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't, but there's 60 million committed Christians in the United States, and only about 30 million of them vote in any given election. Maybe the other 30 million are thinking what you're thinking. It's just one vote, so why bother? Perhaps one vote doesn't seem like a lot, but 60 million votes are. If 60 million like-minded Christians will cast their votes on election day, all those little drops will fill the bucket, and all those little whispers will add up to a very loud voice that will be heard and make a difference. So don't fool yourself into thinking that your vote doesn't matter, because it does. But what matters even more is who you influence to vote with you. It really comes down to faith and action. If all the Christians in America start joining their voices and their vote together, one by one, multiplied across the nation, we can change the course of our country. So make sure you vote. But first, you have to register. If you're not registered, you can't vote. 
Register today at www.championthevote.com. It will take less than two minutes. And then make sure you vote. I want to give you an update on our Imagine More building expansion plans. This spring, we enlisted an architect to begin plans, and we had an aggressive timetable. We hoped we could get the plans in 15 weeks so we could actually start this fall, but it's taking longer to get the building engineered. But they did some more soil samples the other day. Uh, our architect met with our kids' zone director recently, making sure we got details for the kids' area. So anyway, we're moving along, but I've got some great news. You know, we had a goal to raise a million dollars, and we've had a great... Uh, uh, first part of the year just here in our church and our regular giving. So our board agreed recently to increase from our general fund, take money, and actually put it in the Imagine More. So we're over $700,000 now. So I'm really excited about that. Our goal is to break ground with a million. So thanks for being a part of what God's doing here at Church on the Rock through Imagine More. Well, how's everybody doing today? We are going to dedicate some babies. You want to introduce the crew yeah, on the stage? I'll introduce them. This is my wife, Claire, and our son, Reese. And this is Claire's sister, Lacey, and her husband, Johnny, and baby, Lenora. My mom and dad, and uh, Claire's mom and dad, and my brother, and Claire's sister, and everyone. So, And then everyone knows Riggs down there. Praise <laughs> the Lord. All right. Well, listen, I want to know some more about these babies, Riggs. Can you help me? <laughs> Which one is going to be the best baseball player? Please. Which one is going to be the prettiest? Lenora. Lenora. Yeah. And your mommy's going to have a baby too, isn't she? Yeah. She is. You think maybe a baby puppy or kitty? Uh, <laughs> what do you think it's going to be? Is it going to be a boy or a girl? Mm, boy. A boy. <laughs> you know, we say it's a baby dedication, but it's really a, a family dedication, a parent dedication. One day these little kids, will, they'll learn a Bible verse. They'll see you praying. You'll teach them to pray. And we taught our kids to read by reading the Bible. It was a real simple Bible that was on their level, and we'd sound out words, do phonics. And it might take 30 minutes to read a page, but, 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 but they, learned, they learned about God. And at different times in my kids' lives, they would, they would both you know, make commitments to Christ. They'd come to the altar. They'd want to be baptized. But today we, we dedicate them to the Lord. She's smiling at me. You're playing with your mom. Can I, can I hold you? I don't know if I like to hold two, but I like to hold one. How about this? Say hello to everybody out there today. No, that way. That way. Yeah, say hi. It's very nice to see you today. Let her look at mom. <laughs> anyway, but we want to dedicate him to the Lord today, knowing that God was the one that literally brought them life. The Bible says the days of our life are written in a book before one come to pass. So we want to pray today that God's best will follow these children all the days of their life. I want to pray for you that you'll be a godly example. The greatest gift you can give this little girl and this little boy is to love your spouse all your days. To show them what healthy marriage is about, how a man behaves, how a woman's to behave. And we're going to bless this family. Lift your hand towards them with me. Lord, the scripture says children are the gift of the Lord, the heritage of the Lord. And uh, I, I want to pray today a blessing on this little boy and this little girl. I want to pray that all the days of their life they'd walk with God. I pray that they would never have an appetite for the things of the world, but they would always have an appetite for the things of God. I pray, Lord, that uh, at an early age they'd make steps to Christ and never walk away. 
I pray there'd always be food on the table, that there'd always be love in the home. And I pray, Lord, that you would smile on these kids. Lord, help them make a difference in the world for Christ. They're not a part of the problem. They're a part of the solution. And we bless them both, and we bless their families in Jesus' name. Anybody say it? God bless you. So glad you're here. Well, we do want to welcome you here to Church on the Rock. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us this morning. Is there anyone excited to be in the house of the Lord? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Well, we do want to let you know as we're nearing voting season, we have voter registration forms made available to you in the foyer. So if you're not a registered voter and you would like to be, you can pick one of these up in the foyer, fill it out. We'll submit it for you so you can become registered and participate in the upcoming elections. Awesome. As many of you know, we just launched our fall life groups. If you're a part of a life group, let me hear you say, oh, yeah. They are amazing, life-changing, and if you haven't found your place yet, we have a form for you in the bulletin or in the back. Uh, Usher will give you one. We want you to fill it out. We want to get you connected into a group that you can grow in, that you can get challenged in, that God can take you to a new level. So fill that out. Stick it in the offering as it comes back around so that you can get connected in our family. Amen. And I also want to remind you, I know a Sunday second service can get packed sometimes. We'd love to encourage you to try out our Saturday night service at 6 o'clock or Sunday first service at 9 to make room just for our first-time guests. That'd be much appreciated. But I would like to continue our worship this morning with our tithes and offerings. And I want to take a look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. And it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I know that this is a familiar verse, but I love the picture that it paints about giving. And so I want to challenge you to think about this for just a second, because anytime we have the opportunity to give or to sow into the kingdom of God, we get to come to the house of God, take our resources, take our money, which is the essence of worldly value. And so we have an opportunity to literally take worldly riches and bring them to our God and say, God, I want you more than this. God, I, want, I would rather have you move in my life. I would rather have you move in my family's life than something else that I could buy. Lord, I want you more. And that's something powerful. And I believe it's a powerful invitation for God to come and do something mighty in your life. Amen. Amen. So today as you give, I want to challenge you to give with a heart that just desires God to be first in your life. So be blessed as you give.
today we just want to say thank you for every good thing in our life we recognize that it's from the hand of God every good thing we enjoy and we want to say thank you God we pray for America as she pauses on 9-11 to remember a terrible past we pray those tragedy would never happen again and somehow there would be a spiritual revival in America Lord just set us on the right course thank you God for this nation we ask you to bless it and as we open our hearts this morning to the Bible, we pray that its words wouldn't be like the myriad of words around us, but it would be words of life. And we just say welcome today in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, won't you be seated? Tell your neighbor you're glad they're sitting by you today. Well, it's the biblical character of Joseph in the Old Testament. We're beginning a series this morning called Not Your Average Joe. And if there's something about this man's life, is that it, he lived an extraordinary life. It's a life that I will challenge you in this series that you and I can live, a life that is beyond ordinary. It's uh, this term, average Joe, kind of a cultural term, but it simply means average Joe is just like everyone else, a completely average person as opposed to the person who's extraordinary. The extraordinary person goes beyond what's average. An extraordinary person is, is exceptional. They're, they're a standout. Uh, this past weekend, uh, I went to Redwater's football game. My daughter goes there. She's a cheerleader. And uh, one of her friends was a second-string quarterback, and he got to play because the other quarterback was injured. Where, lo and behold, he runs two touchdowns, and one was like 70 yards. And I'm thinking, man, that's the way to go. That's a standout. He would, um, and that's what we all want to be, not just on the football field, but in life. Uh, there's another football movie, Sports are Very Inspiring. And I don't know if you've seen the movie Invincible. It is a great, great movie. It's a true story, and uh, it's so good it inspires me. I watch it every couple months. <laughs> but Invincible is a story a number of years ago about the Philadelphia Eagles. And it was about a man. He was at the time, he was a part-time teacher in a, in a high school he was a bartender. Uh, his wife left him. He wasn't going anywhere in his life. But the Philadelphia Eagles had a tryout where anyone could walk on. 
and uh, anyone from the city, and they had probably 200, true story now, 250 people in the, in the, on the stadium that day. They're running, they're catching passes, and the coaches are laughing at it. It's just funny because everybody is average. Nobody could be a professional. But everything shifts when this one guy, his name was Vince Papali, this one guy runs the 40, and I think he ran it in like 4-4. And every one of the coaches stopped. Every one of them looked at him. And after the practice, the head coach went out to his car and found him and extended an invitation to be a part of the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, he was a standout, and for two years he made the team. But what I want you to see is he stood out above the rest of the 200 people that were out there in a myriad of people. And that's what God is looking for in your life and mine, people that are exceptional. And Joseph is an example of that. So I think this is going to help you. Uh, Joseph, his story was intertwined with God's plan for humanity. And if I could contextualize the message this way, this is not just history. This is a real-life individual, but you and I can pattern our lives after him. As we look in the story, we see that God called him as a 17-year-old boy. God gave him a dream for his life of what he would become. Well, how many know God also wants to give us dreams for our life? No matter where you are in your life today, and I want you to hear me in this, no matter where you are in your life today, whether, whether you've been building like that in life or whether you just did that, God has a future for all of us. God has a plan. God has a purpose. If you're here this morning or if you're watching via the Internet, you have not disqualified yourself. God has a plan and a purpose. And I will suggest to you that the greatest place of your happiness is in finding that plan and finding that purpose. Uh, the first lesson we're going to learn from the life of Joseph is this extraordinary people follow the master's plan. Let me say it again. Extraordinary people follow the master's plan. So let me develop this theme this morning. I want to start with an overview of Joseph's life. Uh, Genesis 37 verse 1 is when we meet the character. In Genesis 37, uh, we're introduced to Jacob. And of course, Jacob was a descendant of Abraham. And if you know Jewish history, Abraham was the father of faith. The New Testament says he's even our father as Gentile or non-Jewish people. Abraham was our father, the example of what it means to have faith. He had a son called Isaac, and this is called the lineage of Christ. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the chosen child. Uh, his name was later changed to Israel, and the modern-day Israel is named after him, the, the nation of the Israelite people. Well, Joseph is Israel or Jacob's favorite son. Notice the story. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending flocks with his brothers, and he brought their father a bad report about them. It's like a tattletale. Anybody have any tattletales in your home here? Let me see your hand this morning. Yeah, sure. If you've got kids, you've got them. He brought Dad a bad report. In verse 4, when his brothers saw their father loved him more than any of the rest of the brothers, they hated him and they couldn't speak a kind word to him. Now, this is an interesting story. Let me give you first an overview of the whole life of Joseph. And what we'll do is each week we'll take a portion of his story and elaborate a bit. But, of course, here you've got this kid, and unbeknownst to him, he's going to literally be used to change the world. Now, you and I may not be used to change the world, but how many know you, we, we could perhaps change the city? We could change our school. Uh, you could change the homeless shelter when you go and serve there. Uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a stepmom, you're changing the lives uh, of kids. You know, as a, not a stepmom, but as a parent who's, what's the, word, what's the term? Foster mom. 
foster mom. She brings this gang of kids to church, and I want to tell watch one of her little boys today. It's not her biological child, but a child she's embraced in her heart. She's up here on the prayer team, and the little boy wanders over here and starts praying for people. Now, look, all of us can change people's lives. Well, Joseph's brothers were jealous. And what they did is they decided they were going to get rid of him, so they throw him in a pit in the wilderness. And while they're discussing it, and here's what the world would say, wouldn't luck have it that the Midianites came by just at that time and they bought him as a slave? Can I tell you, friends, there's no coincidence in the life of a Christian, and there's no such thing as, as luck. It is the, it's an idea of the sovereign hand of God. And I want you to see that the same sovereign hand of God is upon your life and mine. They throw him in a pit. He goes off to be a slave. He's sold to Potiphar. Once again, the world would say, well, wasn't that a lucky break? No, that was the hand of God. Potiphar was an official of Pharaoh, the ruler of the world at that time. Joseph begins as a slave, but he excels. He has character about him. He keeps a good attitude, and he excels. And before you know it, he's in charge of Potiphar's house. But then Potiphar's wife said, hey, I want you to sleep with me. And because he had character, he walked away and said, no, she was felt scorned. And then she said, hey, he raped me, and Joseph is in prison for several years. Now, how many know if you go to jail because you did something wrong? It's somewhat understandable. But how many know if you're in jail and you've done nothing wrong? How many know that's a tragedy? And he's been there several years, and it even seems like God has forgotten him. And lo and behold, two more of Pharaoh's uh, court or his, his, his staff come in there. It's uh, the butler and it's the cupbearer. And some, one of them had stolen. Pharaoh throws both of them in prison. Again, a coincidence. But they have dreams in the middle of the night, and Joseph interprets those dreams, and they both come to pass. And Joseph begs the cupbearer, when you go back to Pharaoh, please don't forget me. But the Bible says he forgot him. And here's what I want you to know. God will never forget you. He felt left in prison for two years. But then, once again, coincidentally, God gives Pharaoh a dream in the middle of the night. No one can interpret it in his court. And then the cupbearer says, well, I'll be. I remember something I did wrong. There was this guy. He was a young Hebrew in prison. He interpreted my dream. And Pharaoh said, go get him. And guess where he was? In prison. You see, but he was waiting on God's timing. He comes before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, Hey, I've had a dream. Can you interpret it? He said, No, I can't. Now listen to this. He kept his relationship with God in this horrible tragedy. He said, I can't, but God can. So God talks to him about seven years of prosperity for the world where he'll store up grain. And then there'll be seven years of famine and the world will be in need. And at that moment, the Pharaoh made Joseph, come on, a slave, the vice president of Egypt. Well, his promotion was not just so he could have a happy life with bigger, better, and more. Guess what? God had a plan from the beginning because he would send a famine on the whole world. And rather than supernaturally sending rain or sending provision to the Israelite people, he needed to get them to Egypt, and Joseph would be the one that would take care of them. So when I talk about a master plan, that's how it all fits together. But how many know when you're in the middle of it, you can't tell what it's going to look like at the end, and sometimes you want to quit? So let's kind of explore this today. Joseph was exceptional. You see, I suggest if he was just an average Joe, he'd have whined and complained when he was in prison and probably stayed there. When he was in Potiphar's house, he'd have probably slept with his wife. An average Joe would have given up in prison, taken credit for his success. But not Joseph, because he was extraordinary. Now, let's, Genesis 37, let's go back to this idea of a master plan for our life. And let me give you four or five things that I gleaned from this scripture about Joseph. 
Here's the first one. Extraordinary people find and fulfill God's plan for their life. Now, when we read the Bible, I want you to just read it as I do, certainly first from historical context, but then how it applies to us. There's a great lesson in this. You're going to see that God had a plan for your life, and the Bible will teach us that He has a plan not only for Joseph, but for you and for me. And whether it's for the whole of my life or the season of my life that I'm in, God has a plan and a purpose. Genesis 37, Joseph one night had a dream. Now, the dream was the way God communicated to Joseph about his future. He may communicate to you in other ways. When he communicated to me about my own life and my future, I was just a, a 19-year-old boy. I, I was raised in northern Mississippi. I was raised on a farm. Life was good. I had a college scholarship. I mean, everything seemed good. But I- inside, my life was kind of doing that. I, I was headed down the wrong pathway. I'd become very worldly. And lo and behold, I had this idea pop up in my heart. I think I want to read the Bible when I'm in the Navy. Now, come on, how many know you don't join the Navy to read your Bible? You go join the Navy to get away from the Bible and away from mom. Well, as soon as I joined, a Gideon gave me a Bible, and I committed my life to Christ in five days. And ever since that moment, I have been living for Christ. And I look back, I've been here 25 years. I'm living a dream I had as a 25-year-old boy to be pastoring a church like this. But see, God speaks to us in different ways, but He's got a plan. Joseph had the dream, and and then he told his brothers, he said, listen to the dream. We're out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Notice the symbolism. Suddenly, my bundle stands up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. And his brothers said, do you actually think you'll reign over us? Now, isn't this incredible? Because it's exactly what was going to happen. And I suggest to you, God has a master plan for all of us. And extraordinary people find that plan and they pursue it. Psalm 139, this is where it gets very personal. The psalmist said, you God saw me before I was born. Now listen, every day of my life was recorded in your book. You think it would be fair to say every day of your life and my life was recorded in God's book? Absolutely. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Jeremiah 1.5, God told the prophet, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, God says, I set you apart. I had a purpose. I appointed you as a prophet for the nations. So what does this mean? This is where this idea of predestination, God having the capacity to set a course for our life, bumps into free will. See, God had determined that Joseph would save the world, but his brothers in their evil act threw him in prison. God didn't cause this, but he used it. Come on. How many know God doesn't cause evil, but he uses evil and he redeems it? So predestination, sovereignty, which means God is ultimately in control of Joseph's life, your life, and mine. Come on. How many know that's a comforting thought? So this is the first thing we learn. And our greatest happiness and fulfillment will come when we find God's plan and when we pursue it with all our heart. That's the first thing I learned from this passage. Now here's the second, uh, Genesis 37. Extraordinary people overcome character defects. Uh, Have you ever lost your job maybe or not gotten a job because something about your character disqualified you? Could have been because you had stolen in your past. It could have been because they looked at your Facebook page and you look quite differently in the interview than you did on your Facebook page. Are you with me today? I mean, there's, there, there's character issues that have to be dealt with. Now, Genesis 37, 
Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers, was do, were, his brothers were doing. A little tattletale there. In verse 3, one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. And his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. An idea for parents here. Be careful. Verse 8, his brothers responded, do you actually think you'll reign over us? And notice what he says next. They hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Now, many commentators and those that write on the story of Joseph believe that this is evidence that Joseph had pride in his life. And who would suggest that, listen, when you're 17 and daddy gives you a special coat and he gives you the best job and then you start having dreams of your brothers bowing down, how many know you could feel a little superior? Well, how many know people that have pride, People and pride is simply a dependence on self, whereas humility is a dependence on God, a recognition that everything I have and everything I can do is not because of me, come on, but it's because of God. It's why the Tim Tebow's of life, when they score the touchdown, or now he's going to be hitting home runs for the Mets, they'll lift their finger to heaven, not to draw attention to themselves, but simply to say, what I'm able to do is because of God. Now, the Bible says this. The Bible says in James, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, when I pause at a scripture to do that, I want you to kind of say what's on the screen there. Yeah, if you'll do that, I'll preach quicker. How about that? We'll be out before three, and that'll just be amazing. Everybody be talking now. No, uh, lost my place. Oh, we've all got character issues that have to be dealt with. How many know pride can keep me out of God's best? But how many know if God wants to bless me and help me become generous so I can be a blessing, how many know God's got to root out of my heart stinginess? He's got to root out of my heart selfishness. How many know if I'm going to do some great exploits and faith is going to be involved, a great trust in God, how many know God's got to work and get fear processed out of my life? So God's got to change us on the inside before he can do something extraordinary on the outside, lest we implode and be destroyed. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good hand this morning. See, some of you are still thinking about that 3 o'clock comment. We'll be out at 12.15, okay? So just, just be patient. Jeremiah 39, verse 1. Extraordinary people, and I think this is kind of my favorite, they face problems with a good attitude. Now, Genesis 39, 1. Uh, Potiphar, he was the Egyptian. He was, again, Pharaoh's staff. He was one of Pharaoh's officials. He, he bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites. But when he's serving as a slave, and how many know slaves are on the bottom of the totem pole? When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Now let me suggest this to you. Though God may desire to, be, to bless us and be with us, how many know just because God's plan may be for us to, 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 to be used, to prosper, and to succeed, how many know if we don't go along with God, God's not going to bless us? If I'm complaining all the time, if I'm whining about God, what God's doing or not doing, if I'm ignoring the Holy Spirit, if I'm ignoring prayer in my life, how many know you're going to kink the hose on God's favor? And I suggest there's an undercurrent in Joseph's life. Joseph always maintained a vibrant relationship with God. And all of his adversity, he didn't have a Bible, he didn't have a church group, he was surrounded by idolatry, but he kept alive the fire of God in his heart. Uh, Potiphar also noticed, he put him, Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. So here's my question. 
You start out as a slave. How do you wind up as the chief of staff? And he was treated unfairly. He had bad living conditions, low pay, a horrible work environment, but yet he served with excellence and became successful. How in the world did this happen? I suggest to you it's because he maintained a good attitude, come on, rather than stinking thinking. He kept a good attitude. He kept a belief in God at the core of his life. You know, this guy was at the bottom. And I'm grateful to live in a nation today where our nation provide, uh, is, is, has programs to help disadvantaged people have an equal opportunity to connect with life and be successful. I mean, no, that's a good thing. But if I could digress just a moment, what's happening in America, we're having a shift away from individual liberty and freedom towards a sense of government control of everything where the government wants to control our outcomes. That's communism. And in my opinion, that's what the election is about, the future of our nation. Listen, I'm not voting for a man or a woman as president. I'm voting for the future of America because they represent two different dreams. They represent two different visions for America. One is an embrace of, of, of uh, well, certainly none of our candidates are, 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 are like Jesus. Come on now. Moses, Moses is not in the election and Jesus is not in the election. But one of them is standing up for religious liberty and one of us has just called us deplorable. You might want to pray for Mrs. Clinton today. She made in a 9-11 appearance and the newspapers or the news sources say that she fainted at the appearance. There's things going on in America today, come on, that demand that you and I seek the face of God for prayer. But I regress in that. Joseph, uh, Joseph started at the bottom and he made it to the top because he had a good attitude in a bad situation. Now I want you to hear me on this. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. A good a a your attitude will determine your behavior. Your attitude will determine your behavior. If you wake up in the morning and you think everybody's against you and everybody hates you and everybody's unfair to you and you just feel like waving your finger at everybody in the world, can I tell you, that will affect everything you do in your life. But if you have a belief that God is still on his throne, come on, that he's still a good God, you can have a confidence about the future. Listen to what the Bible says, Ephesians 6, the Message Bible, says, work with a smile on your face. He said, you don't know where I work. Listen, work with a smile on your face, always keeping in mind that no matter who's giving the orders, you're really serving God. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you to belong in Christ Jesus. This is how God wants you to live. Listen, friends, good attitude is a choice. And if you will have a good attitude, I can virtually promise you promotion. When I was in the Navy... Uh, I wanted to be on the flight crew, and, I, and, and I'd fly as much as I could. And, and I was, uh, was on, we flew P-3 Orion airplanes, and they're the ones that used to look for the Russian submarines in the ocean. Well, anyway, when we would fly, um, can I say this? When, it, when the flight was over, it could be an eight-hour flight, somebody would, somebody would have to empty the honeypot. Don't think about the smiling bear on your coffee table. <laughs> think porta potty now, who wants, whose ambition is to empty the porta potty? Nobody. But I can tell you this, friend. If you're Joseph and a slave, you're not going to run Potiphar's house. If you not only hold your nose and empty the porta potty, but wash it out real good, come on and spray some disinfectant on it, come on. 
And you can, either, you, can, you can either force your supervisor to check on you every 15 minutes and say you've done your job, or you can wake up and you can serve the Lord with all your heart, and they'll take notice of that, and God will promote it because there's a good attitude behind it. Come on, say somebody, say praise the Lord. Praise Genesis 40, let me give you another one. Extraordinary people are content to wait on God's timing. Now, i got to be honest with you. I have a hard time waiting in front of my microwave. It's just hard to wait. I, I feel like I have to go do something else while I'm waiting for my, my water to heat up here. No, no, no more OCD people in here other than me. I'm very glad for that. But in, in Genesis 40, Joseph is in prison, but he's done nothing wrong. Again, if you've done something wrong, arguably you deserve to go to jail. You deserve some punishment. But Joseph has done nothing wrong. He's been forgotten now when he interpreted the dream of the baker two long years, and he's in prison. Genesis 40, verse 23, The chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but he forgot him. And when two full years had passed. Now, how many know sometimes time goes by fast? But sometimes time goes slow. And I guarantee it went slow in prison. But isn't it amazing? Pharaoh had a dream. Now, I want you to see this picture. Imagine that God has this huge clock for humanity. And the clock started on hour one, second one, minute one in Genesis 1-1. And it's going towards this 24-hour period. And each time God sees that it's time to advance the clock, the clock advances a minute, an hour. Well, God's waiting for some reason for a time for Pharaoh to have this dream. God gave him a dream, and then God needs to find a man somewhere to interpret the dream. Genesis 41, verse 9, the chiefs cut after the Pharaoh had this dream about, and he didn't know what it meant, but it was about what it, what, what it amounted to was seven years of prosperity in the agriculture and then seven years of famine. Pharaoh knows it's significant. God speaks to this pagan man. The king's cupbearer spoke up and said, There was a young Hebrew man with us in prison. He told us our dreams and he told us what each of our dreams meant. And Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once and he was quickly brought from the prison. Now, Joseph was in a place he didn't want to be for several years doing something he didn't want to do. But what he had to do is he had to wait, come on, for God to do for him what he could not do for himself. And you may be in a situation, you may be waiting on God because of a wayward spouse. You may be waiting on God to turn the heart of a wayward child back to you. You may be waiting on God for a promised promotion. You may be waiting on a multitude of things. But how many know the way that we wait is crucial? I can either wait in faith, come on, hoping and believing. This is what the Bible says, Isaiah 40, 31 those who wait upon the Lord, and the undercurrent of this word wait, it means they hope, they trust, they look forward, they will get fresh strength. Which simply means I can stay connected to God, come on, when things are when I'm on idle, when life is on hold, when it's not happening the way I want to, I can still give thanks in everything, give thanks, come on, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And exceptional people learn to wait. So too often Christians give up and they quit just before their amazing moment. How many know Joseph woke up that very morning as a slave and he went to bed at night on satin sheets and a satin pillow? He had no idea what was coming. All he was doing was staying in position. That is exactly, you remember John the Baptist's parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth? 
They too were waiting on God's prophetic clock to go forwards. They were childless. Unbeknownst to them, their child would be John the Baptist. And God was saving the best for last. So then they lived their whole life as single parents, uh, single parents, as, as people who were unable to have children. And when they were past childbearing age, God said, now I'm ready. Well, guess what? When God reached out to them, they had waited faithfully on God, just like Joseph waited faithfully on God. You say, how do you know that? When he stood before Pharaoh, Pharaoh said, I hear you can interpret dreams. And Joseph said, no, sir, I can't. But there is a God in heaven who can. And that phrase exhibits to us his humility, his patience, and the depth of his spirituality that grew in the prison. Come on, give God a good hand. He's worthy of our praise. I want to close with this, and then we'll, we'll pray together. But Genesis 45, extraordinary people see God's purpose in their promotion. Let me say it again. We see God's purpose in our promotion. Now, Genesis 45, this story has, has gone forwards. It starts out when Joseph is 17. This is probably about 25 years later, thereabouts. But what's happened is Joseph is, is out of the prison. He is Pharaoh's right-hand man. For seven years, there's great prosperity. And during that time, he gets married. He has kids. God heals him. God restores him. God blesses him. But then this famine comes over the whole world. You see, God could just as easily have fed the world supernaturally with manna. He could have caused it to rain. He could have caused, like Jesus, food to come out of a boy's lunch. But he didn't because he wanted to move the nation of Israel from their homeland to Egypt so it could set up the paradigm of deliverance and the Passover lamb that would embody what Christ was to do. See, so, so God was working behind the scenes and nobody knew it. Well, here Joseph is now. He is literally feeding the whole world, and he's the world's hero at this point in time. And then, guess what happens? His brothers show up. And the last time they saw him, he was begging them for mercy for his life as he was being pulled out of a pit, being drugged behind a camel to Egypt. Now, here's the scene. Joseph, chapter 45, please come closer. And he said to them, Joseph is crying now, they came closer, and Joseph said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. Now, imagine the shiver that went up their spine. But look at verse 5, and arguably this is the, 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 the uh, most significant scripture of the day. He says, I don't want you to be angry with, selling, with yourselves because you sold me in this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. You see, in God's purpose for our lives, there's a connection to a kingdom purpose. God sent me here. In verse 8, God is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, and God made me the governor of all Egypt. Here's what this tells us. He was promoted from slave to vice president of Egypt. He had wealth, he had power, a beautiful wife and kids, but he had to decide what he would do with his promotion, and he had to decide what the purpose of that promotion was. Because I suggest to you, friends, when God blesses us with wealth, when he blesses us with, with, with placing us in a position of power and influence, it's not just so for me, come on, so people can call me sir or ma'am. It's not just for a bigger paycheck. It's not just for me to get even because now I'm in control. How many know there's a kingdom purpose that's involved in our lives? And God promotes us for a purpose 
The choice is, will I use the benefits of that promotion simply for my self-enjoyment or will I use it like Joseph did as a part of God's eternal plan? Come on, give him a hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me this morning? I, I want to take this last moment or two and, and close in prayer. It's a long ways till 3 o'clock, so it'll have a long time to pray. You know, something I've found over the years, when I, and I do just like you do, I may not go to church here on Sunday, I'm the preacher, but I listen on the radio, I, I listen to CDs, I listen to other people, I go to conferences, and when I'm in an environment where God's Word is talked about, it's like the Holy Spirit is always speaking to me. Very unlike, for example, if you were to go to a movie or go to the fair or, or go have some fun experience, have lunch, when it's over, it's over. And I mean, as soon as you pay the check, if you happen to go out to lunch today, and you get in your car, you're not going to think again if it was a good meal. and You're not going to think about it again. But when we've sat in God's presence and God has been speaking to us, it's a time to respond. Because the Bible says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be what? Be doers. So here's a question I want to ask you. What did the Holy Spirit say to you today through these words? We talked about several lessons. You'll see them again. Here's the first one. Extraordinary people find and fulfill God's plan for their life. I want to ask you today, friends, do you know what God's plan for you is? Do you know what God's calling you to do in this season of your life? Do you know where you're headed? I want to pray for you. That second lesson was... They overcome character defects. Maybe when we were, were, were talking about Joseph's pride, maybe the Holy Spirit put his finger on something in your life. Maybe you need to surrender that to God today. Uh, how about how we face our problems? I suggest we can argue Joseph faced his problems with a good attitude. I sometimes get in the prison, come on, I'm with the honeypot, and it's not easy to have a good attitude. But maybe we just simply want to say, Lord, there's something I want you to help me change. I've not done too good on my own. How about this? Content to wait on God's timing? Maybe you're in a situation and you're just being forced to wait. And you know if you don't wait, if you push it, you're going to mess things up. But you're having a hard time. Come on. And just say, I need God's grace. How many are waiting like that on something? Just slip your hands to heaven right now and say, God, I just need some grace. I need some grace to do what I cannot do on my own. I need something supernatural, Lord. I want to ask you to help me be patient. And that last lesson, they saw God's purpose in their promotion. Maybe you're not yet to your promotion, and this doesn't apply, but maybe you're in the midst of it, and the Holy Spirit's trying to shift your influence in what you're doing. I don't know what it may be, but I, I felt the Lord wanted us to pray particularly about this first one the plan for your life. I want you to bow your head just a moment. And nobody looking around, but I wonder if you're here today and say, Pastor, I don't know what God's plan for my life is. I don't know the big picture. Others will say, Pastor, I may know the big picture, but I don't know what this season of my life looks like. It's like I just walked through a door, the door's closed, and now I'm going forwards, and I'm just not quite sure where to go. But I want us to pray today that God would show me His plan for my life that God would mark my way into the future. I don't want to just stay on the plateau I am. For some of us, it's a good plateau, but I'm telling you, friends, God has more. And you simply want to say, Lord, I want to, say, I want to know your plan, but I want to do it. And I ask you to show me and give me grace 
to be an extraordinary person. If that's you, just lift your hand right now. Nobody's looking around, not their business. That's right, all over the church building. Just say, Lord Jesus, my hand is uplifted to heaven now, and I'm asking you to show me what you want to do with my life. I don't want to reach the end and feel like I wasted it, but I want to be an exceptional person. I want to live an extraordinary life. I want my life to make a difference. So Holy Spirit, as hands are lifted all over the building, I just pray that, Lord, you reveal yourself to us. That you, just like you gave Joseph a dream, but in some way, you put the spark of God in us so that we would know this is the way we're supposed to go, walking. Let's close this way. We're going to have one last song, and then we'll be free to go. But we're going to have our prayer team come forward in just a moment. And they'd be delighted to pray with you again about anything going on in your life. For whatever reason, maybe you missed the prayer time earlier, but maybe there's something in this message that really snagged you. And you just it, there's just kind of a need to talk to someone. I mean, I, I've been to church services, and, you know, it was enough for me just to pray in the general prayer, and that was it. But I've been to other times when I just felt like I need a little bit more here. You help me get started up the rope, but I need somebody to kind of push me where I, I, I just, I need a little bit more. We'd be happy to pray with you about anything, either something you're going through or something this message stirred. But listen, most importantly, maybe you're here today and maybe your relationship with God is not where it needs to be. Because the starting place for finding God's plan for your life is by you surrendering to follow Jesus. It's called being saved, being born again. It's the defining moment of life for me, it happened on August 15, 1976. I was raised in a wonderful Methodist church. It didn't take, and it wasn't their fault. But at 19, my heart was being drawn to God, and I realized I was like stopped in a driving a car at a, at a T, and I could either keep going left and following, going John's way, or I could give my heart to Christ and start following Him. And I said yes to Jesus almost 40, a little over 40 years ago, and I've never looked back. Maybe that's what you need today. To surrender control of your life to Christ. It's like driving a car, stopping the car, pulling over, asking Jesus to sit behind the wheel and give him the keys. I'll tell you this, friend, if you do that with your life, it'll be the defining mark of your life. It'll set you not only on a course for your life's purpose, but a course for eternity. I'll encourage you, if you're here today, we'd be honored to pray with you. And when they start playing, I want to invite you to just come and meet us at the cross and someone will pray with you if you'd like to commit your life to Christ. So they're going to go ahead and begin to sing. Our prayer team is going to come to the altar one last time. And as they're making their way to the altar, here for you, to pray for you, let me encourage you, come let us pray. You need prayer for anything at all. Nothing is too small. Let us pray. But most importantly, if God is drawing you to commit your life to Christ, make the step to the cross today. I love you and thanks for coming today. Dual things are passed away. Your love has stayed the same. Your constant grace remains the cornerstone. The things that we
Continue to worship. Prayer team's going to continue around front. And if you need prayer for anything, hey, they'll be more than happy to pray with you. But if not, hey, you're free to be dismissed. And we look forward to seeing you guys next week. God bless you. Jesus, we love you.